Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League. We're on the number one daily sports podcast network. I am Brian Peacock. As always, alongside the scout, Matt Williamson. You can find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. You can find Matt at Williamson NFL. You can find this program and all of the shows here on the Locked On Podcast Network on all of your favorite podcast apps. Matt, we've got comp picks today. They have been announced. We've got some news around the league who might be signing as teams wait for yet another delayed vote on the CBA and delayed franchise tag deadline. We'll see who actually gets out to the free agent market. And you wrote a little article recently about wide receiver and what wide receivers in the draft actually hit, which ones don't. Some trends recently that I think is interesting that we should get into today as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I am... Excited to do all those things, be a big receiver news. But overall, it's really the calm before the storm. You really feel like these teams are prepping to make moves, but can't quite do it yet. Let's start with, and I still don't know, and there's been a lot of smart folks that have sort of cracked the code, but it's not exact. And uh, over the cap did a pretty good job. And they knew that the Patriots were going to get two in the third round and they had the right amount of third rounders. And the order was just very slightly different. But it's a secret sauce to figuring out what compensatory picks are going to be given out every year. The one thing we do know is that if you lose more free agents than you gain, and especially if you're losing big money free agents like Trey Flowers and Trent Brown, you're going to get some comp picks. And not a surprise that the New England Patriots led the league in comp picks again this year for two of those at the end of the third round. Yeah, and there is... An art to it, to be very honest. I mean, the Patriots, year after year, supplement their draft by getting comp picks. And even like in our draft ditty yesterday, I mentioned the Rams, how they often have a lot of picks, even though they don't have first-rounders. They've done a good job of letting some higher-priced people go and to get comp picks in return. The Ravens come to mind as a team that's worked the system really well. And... It's huge. I mean, when when this was a new thing, you weren't allowed to trade them. And that made no sense to me. I'm like, why is that different than any other pick? You give me yeah. a pick and I can't trade it. I have to make a pick here, even if there's not a player I want. Like, that no, makes no sense to me. Um, but now you can. And I'm curious, you know, new CBA, how will the comp pick situation be addressed? It's something that I haven't heard one way or another. But a team like, you know, the Patriots, you pick up, what, two-thirds a and two sixth. I mean, that's great. Two third round picks. I mean, two top 100 picks. Yeah. Is super valuable. 98 and 100, I believe, were the picks that okay. New England picked up there in the third round, a couple of six. So they had four. Uh, the next most was the Denver Broncos with three, Houston Texans with three, Minnesota Vikings with three, New York Giants with three, Philadelphia Eagles, and Seattle Seahawks. All of those teams each had three apiece. So there was a lot of teams that got a bunch, and most teams didn't get any. In this formula, uh, Baltimore Ravens that you mentioned got a couple, Miami two, then Chicago Bears, Dallas Cowboys, Los Angeles Rams, Pittsburgh Steelers, Tampa Bay Bucks, and Washington Redskins, all with one comp pick apiece. And it's always 32, which is interesting, too. So the draft is essentially eight rounds long because there's always exactly 32, one extra round of comp picks. I didn't know that. That's funny. I, I All these years, I never knew that it ends up being exactly eight times 32 when it's all said and done, huh? Yeah, it's something I didn't pick up on either. They don't really mention it, yeah. but um, a couple of years ago, I figured that out. And there, I actually have a list here of 
compensatory picks all time. You mentioned the Baltimore Ravens. They lead by quite a bit. 52 all time since 1994, which is, I believe, the first year they started doing the comp thing. Uh, 52 for Baltimore. The next closest is Dallas and New England at 43. Wow. I knew Baltimore was good at it. I didn't realize they were that good at it. So, folks, um, Brian just mentioned how many each team get. So when the third round of regular picks ends, it's going to go like this in the third round. All these teams are getting third-round picks. Houston, then New England, then the Giants, then New England again, Seattle, the Steelers, Eagles, Rams, Vikings, Ravens. We'll, we'll wrap up the end of the third round with all these comp picks. So it's a big deal. I mean, <laughs> a third-round pick is a very valuable asset. And yesterday, the Cincinnati Bengals sitting there with the first pick in the fourth round was a top 100 pick. It no longer is. <laughs> yeah, right. Good point. Let's move on to, and look, it's not a coincidence that a lot of good teams, because for two reasons, they have good players and they get a lot of comp picks. And also they work the system well and good teams are good at working the system. And so you see uh, a big correlation with good teams that get comp picks and, um, you want to be that team that's getting comp picks. That means you have a lot of good players that are that are wanted around the league, and you're doing a good job of drafting and developing. And that also means you're probably a pretty good team because those are the those are the players that play well, and those are the the players that get poached off of rosters. And when you're sitting at home and you're watching these guys in the playoffs, you're thinking, "Man, I need one of those guys on my team." Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, it, for those that don't understand the formula, the the basics of it, the nuts and bolts of it are. If you lose a guy in free agency and it's basically what you lost in free agency minus what you brought in. So if there's a big gap there, if there's a big remaining number, then you get compensated with these picks. And the the caveat, though, is like, for example, Rashad Jones was let go today from the Dolphins. If you pick him up, he doesn't factor in the equation. So anyone that's cut doesn't count. So. That's one of the benefits of these guys that get cut is when in doubt, you want to sign them over someone with an expiring contract. We've got some other interesting news here to get to. Uh, by the way, who was it? Le'Veon Bell's who the Steelers lost, right? Is that who they, right. they got a third rounder for? So, yeah, the big money guys. And I mentioned the 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 New England Patriots. It was Trent Brown and it was Trey Flowers. And uh, there was one other. They they lost a, a lot of free agents. And that's kind of how they do it. They let their big money guys go. And then uh, they draft and, and replace them with these extra comp picks you get. So it's, it's not the end of the world when your team does lose a free agent. You get a pick. And uh, now you can trade those picks, which you mentioned I think is really important. I don't know why you were never able to trade picks. So that helps right. you trade. It helps you move around in the draft. Um and What's crazy me, about the Lev Bell thing? Sorry to interrupt there, no, but yeah, go ahead. this was a really weird situation. Was the Steelers lost, give or take? It was Jesse James, L.J. Fort, and Lev Bell was the big ticket item. They brought in Stephen Nelson. Barron was cut, so that that didn't count. And they brought in Moncrief, so they lost a lot more than they received, thinking they'll get the third round pick. But then L.J. Fort got cut by the Eagles in the season picked up in the Ravens and was playing a lot of snaps for them. So the Steelers, if they didn't cut Moncrief during the year, would not have gotten this third. That's how convoluted wow, it is. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, so they, it they, is. They, it's, yeah, it's like a math equation, and, and players cancel each other out that are at a certain level yep. that they get paid in free agency. So if you have if you add a guy, then that cancels out one of the players you lost. And that's mm -hmm. that's funny. I did not know that about the – 
about the Moncrief thing. That's very interesting. Right. And I think that probably would have been a fourth instead of a third. You know, you just wouldn't have. And it was weird because of the LJ Fort situation. You wouldn't think that would matter that much, but it was an odd situation. So that's why Moncrief got let go. Notes here on Alvin Kamara, Ryan Tannehill, Tom Brady. You mentioned a veteran player getting cut in Miami. Let's get to that stuff next. Then we'll talk wide receivers. The Miami Dolphins have released, or they will be releasing, they have decided to release safety Rashad Jones, and this is according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. They're going to wait until the new league year begins when a lot of these things we've talked about that are done deals become actually official on March 18th. Rashad Jones gone. How much does he have left for you, Matt? Um, I would say he's definitely going to get picked up by somebody, and it does help him that you don't have to, doesn't hurt your comp equation. Um, I don't know that he'll be a surefire starter next year, but I could see him being a valuable member of a big nickel package, maybe a starter, a stopgap starter. Um, their defense was pretty bad. I mean, he's a tough guy to evaluate at this late stage of his career. Big, He was making a, a good chunk of change, and he's old, so obviously where Miami's going doesn't need that player, and he's not a tremendous scheme fit for what the Dolphins want to do now. He's more of the old regime. But somebody will grab him at a nice discount and get some valuable snaps out of him. I was wondering because the, the Miami Dolphins aren't a team that's necessarily up against the cap. They're going to save, it looks like, $5.3 million after the dead money is taken off of his $11.5 million salary. For a safety, that's a lot of money. So mm-hmm. if you're being paid like one of the best safeties in the league and you're not, being, you're not playing necessarily at that level, maybe not a great scheme fit, I can see why. But I was thinking, well, Miami's not really up against the cap, so they don't have to be cutting good players. But you mentioned the scheme fit thing there, and they might as well get this done now, and so they don't incur that cap hit next year instead if they decide they want to cut him then. So, yeah, it does make a little bit more sense when you put it that way. Yeah, and you're you're right. I mean, it's not like they need the money. They're not. But I think probably the way they look at it is, sure, we could use the money, but he's we don't even want him getting snaps. I want a fourth-round pick, a third-round pick, a young guy we just signed, someone that's under 27 years old getting my snaps at safety while I build this defense. So both starting safeties that started the 2019 season in Miami, both gone now. One of those in Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah, I guess. I mean, amazing what has left that building of late. It is crazy. It is crazy. It's crazy that they won as many games as they did, actually. I mean, I have a fantastic job by Brian Flores getting them to believe the guys that were left and and win a few football games. He might be a really good coach. I'm open to that idea. Yeah. Early returns, I think, are good there. Yes. Let's go to Alvin Kamara of the Saints, who I didn't realize he was this far off still, said his leg is only at about 75, was at 75% last season, uh, looking to be 100% healthy for this season. And uh, that's scary because he's still pretty good at 75%. Yeah, and I think he's a special, special McCaffrey level, level player. And I think after last year, some people probably thought there's a gap between those two. And so when I read this, I was like, well, that adds up. You know, I'm going to believe him on that. Um, it shows he did not have the same burst, the same productivity. But, you know, I also, I, I, when these guys say a certain percentage of what they were, I kind of take that with a grain of salt. Like if you just said 80 or 60 or 90, I mean, what's the difference? Uh, you weren't 100, I guess, is is the bottom line. And that showed. But I also think that Kamara is not a workhorse. I mean, I think he's somebody that will always be on a pitch count to some degree that Peyton does not trust that he can stand up to a massive, massive McCaffrey type workload. 
And any sign, any chink in the armor of running backs, it makes you think immediately, is a decline coming? I mean, that seems way too early to say that with Kamara, but backs don't last long in this league. And when you have a player that's like Kamara that plays like him, why waste him in that ground and pound role anyway? You know, yeah, I, I yeah. think it was perfect the way they had it set up with Mark Ingram and Kamara. And you can give Kamara the bigger piece of the pie, but find your next Mark Ingram to pair with him and and save his body a little bit because even and even if you're playing fantasy football, you'd rather have a close to 100% Kamara getting less snaps than a 75% Kamara getting all the snaps. Yeah, right. I mean, it is a good equivalent to fantasy. I mean, all of us that took him in their first round would have much rather seen him touch the ball less, play less snaps in general, but have them be highly efficient, effective snaps as they have been the rest of his career. And that's why Murray's there. And also Taysom Hill eats into his production a little bit too. There's your uh, first round sleeper in fantasy football too, because if you're getting a 100% healthy Kamara, yeah. his numbers weren't great last year. He's going to be behind a few people. He's still going to be a first round pick, I'm sure, in those fantasy drafts. Maybe a little value there if you're picking, say, you know, middle of the first round if he's still there. Yeah, I was just thinking that. I was like, if you can get him at eight or nine, where last year you had to get him at four. Okay, I'm buying. Uh, I like that quite a bit. Uh, another quick note on Kamara: only Kamara, Marshall Falk, and Christian McCaffrey have caught. At least 80 passes in three straight seasons. Wow. Running back. And he's great at it. Wow. I didn't know that. One player that we've glossed over, and it, a lot of it is because of the Tom Brady stuff, is Ryan Tannehill. And we haven't given enough credit, I think, Matt, to how much the Titans probably really like Ryan Tannehill and what he did for them and how good they played when he showed up and started uh, starting a quarterback for them and took him into the playoffs. Obviously, if you can get Tom Brady, that's a different story. But according to Ian Rappaport, the Titans are focused on re-signing Ryan Tannehill long-term. Do you think this is something that the Titans want to get out there, want to let Tannehill know, look, we like you and we want to sign you just in case the Tom Brady thing doesn't happen and they don't want to burn that bridge to where Ryan Tannehill's like, all right, well, if you're going to go flirt with this guy, I'm going to go flirt with some teams. That's the way I took it was I bet that the Titans' top priority is to land Brady, but they probably realize they have, I don't know, 25% shot, 33% shot, something like that. They're probably in it, but it's far from a slam dunk. And in the end, I think they would be just fine taking Tannehill. And they'd probably do want to boost his ego a little in the media and let everyone know how much they do feel about him. And I don't think that's a lie, a smokescreen, a ploy, anything like that. He was really, really good for them. I mean, one thing I was saying about the Tennessee quarterback situation was, I don't think there's any chance that 2020 Brady is better than 2019 Tannehill. I'm also not so sure that 2020 Tannehill is as good as 2019 Tannehill, but I have been a believer of his. I stood by him with his Miami days. He had some things that were tough to overcome with people around him, injuries, different schemes, but boy, did he fit in well there and so good off play action, really good run after the catch numbers of setting up his receivers to succeed, you know, namely A.J. Brown, exceptional athlete, a lot of tools. So I think you could do a heck of a lot worse than Ryan Tannehill for the next four years. When it comes to Tom Brady, and it seems like Brady needs to be that first domino to fall so every other team can go on and, and move on with what yeah. they want to do. And I don't know how real the interest is between some of the teams that are rumored to be connected with Tom Brady. I mean, we've seen just about every team that has a little bit of an opening, the Colts and the Titans and Tampa Bay and 
Las Vegas Raiders, which I'm, I can't believe I just said Las Vegas Raiders. I'm doing well done. I'm doing a lot better saying Las Vegas Raiders than I am Los Angeles Chargers because I still <laughs> want to say San Diego every time. I guess the Raiders have moved a couple times in our lifetime. Maybe that has a little bit something to do with it. Yeah, it's but not I as ingrained. Um, but Tom Brady, and this is according to Mike Reese, ESPN. The Patriots and Brady apparently met at some point last week and have had some conversations. And Brady has talked to, I think, both t- Bob Kraft and Bill Belichick very recently. But that they have, quote, no come no closer to an agreement in recent days. Yeah, and I don't know what to take of this. I mean, we've talked a lot of Brady stuff. Um, I'm not sure this is game-changing news or anything like that. I think Brady's slow playing it. He's making his decision very calculated, kind of like Manning did whenever he was looking at different teams. And I'm wondering if he knows, you know, off the record or handshake deals, what the offers are on the table from the other teams and, you know, what teams are willing to give him. With a gun to your head, if I said Pats or somewhere else, what side are you taking? I feel like somewhere else because, and I think this is clear, that if they, Tom Brady's, the only team he can talk to legally is the Patriots. So Mm -hmm. if nothing changes there and he's like, okay, cool, good good talk, guys, but, you know, nothing, no closer to a new deal, that tells me that he, at the very least, wants to go talk to some teams. And as soon as you start talking to some teams, that opens it wide up. Now you have five choices besides the Patriots. It just seems like it's time and he wants to to give it a shot somewhere. So I really feel like he's gone. And I would put the Patriots at maybe a little higher percentage than the rest of the teams. But when you add up all the other teams versus the Patriots, I think it's above 50%. Yeah. And frankly, I mean, it goes back to the Brady Jimmy conversation back when, and I, again, something I keep talking about is I think the most interesting thing isn't where Brady lands, but how Belichick reacts when he's gone and what type of quarterback does he go get you know, has he been going, boy, I want to find an athlete back there, like, you know, Mahomes, Lamar style, or do I want to just plug somebody into the offense for running? And in the end, deep down, is it smart business to give Tom Brady $30 million if you're New England or anyone? I mean, I don't know that for sure. I'm not saying it's it's going to be Joe Namath with the Jet or with the Rams or something like that, but it might be. I feel like... And according to the reports that we talked about earlier this week with Dak Prescott turning down $33 million a year, over $100 million guaranteed, I'll give Brady a one-year $30 million contract versus that long-term deal because I think you're as good now for that year. And you can find a quarterback that you can hope is good at, is as good as Dak Prescott, not to see Dak Prescott isn't a very good quarterback and hasn't earned his money, but at a certain point, it's like, okay, we're locking ourselves into, is this a top five quarterback? Because if, if, if Dak Prescott is truly going to be that player that, you know, a Brady or Drew Brees or Aaron Rodgers had been in the past, you give them all the money that you have to, and you figure it out. Mm -hmm. But Dak Prescott isn't in that tier. So then it makes me pause a little bit and be like, man, you're going to lock him down for stupid money to be, as a you know, wherever you put him, tier two. I think he was in tier three when we talked to Mike Sando preseason, according to GMs. Right, Dak Prescott isn't that where I think he was? In, I think he'd be in tier two for me now. Yeah, but and, yeah, I and think a very was, good, yeah. a very good player. But when you just 
talk straight economics. I would go Brady one year at 30 million over Dak Prescott, 33 mil, 105, whatever it was guaranteed. And he's asking for more than that. He already shut that deal down. I think that's a conversation to be had. I'm a Dak believer, not that he will be a Rodgers, Breeze, Brady level guy or probably ever a tier one player. But the one thing I kind of disagree with you on is I don't know two years from now, three years from now, that $33 million a year for Dak will be considered crazy money. You know, like he might be the 12th highest paid quarterback by then. That's a great point. And I wonder if him turning it down is like, well, let's hold on and, and let's see this CBA and see if you have an extra yeah. $30 million somewhere and then we'll talk. <laughs> and then maybe it'll be 35 right. instead of 33. But that's a great point. At the end of this contract, if it's whatever a five-year deal, maybe he's middle-of-the-road starting quarterback money. That's that's a great point, Matt. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I just think that there's going to be a lot of money infused into this league, especially when the betting stuff hits and quarterback contracts are going to be wow. And as we talked with the Kirk Cousins fully guaranteed contract, I think guarantees are a really big part of this. So you see 33 million, you're like, hey, that's top of the market quarterback money. But what's the guarantee look like? How locked in are you to this player? Uh, what and really the way we should look at these contracts is we we saw it with Rashad Jones today. I mean, players get cut every day in the NFL. What's the guaranteed money? That's your real contract value. Good point. Good point. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's talk wide receivers. Matt Williamson is going to tell us exactly the type of wide receiver to draft so we can take the guesswork out of this thing next. Matt, you should probably set this one up. You recently wrote an article about wide receivers and in recent history, what wide receivers have hit, what style of wide receivers we're looking at that have been successful, right, in the NFL drafts as of, what, since 2014? Yeah, I wrote two articles you know, for two different sites and it's a different view of you know how what to look for in the quarterback position and what the last five years have kind of taught us with receivers entering the league. And I'm gonna keep it kind of short, so we'll keep it to one segment. But you know, everyone remembers that 2014 was a historically great wide receiver class, and this year looks like it's competing with that, and I very much believe it will. But here are the first round picks since that class at the receiver position. Amari Cooper went fourth overall. Kevin White went seventh overall. Devontae Parker went 14th overall. Nelson Aguilar went 20th overall. Rashad Perryman went 26th overall. Philip Dorsett went 29th overall. That's all 2015. So remember those names. 2016. Corey Coleman goes 17th overall. Will Fuller goes 21st. Josh Doxson goes 22nd. Lacan Treadwell goes 23rd. Yuck. 2017. Corey Davis goes fifth, Mike Williams goes seventh, John Ross goes ninth. 2018, DJ Moore, great pick at 24 overall. Calvin Ridley, 26th overall. Last year, I'm not even going to, you know, who knows yet, but Brown, Marquise Brown, 25th overall, Nikhil Harry, 32nd overall. Jury's still out on some of these guys. But what I did was then I looked at, here are some highly notable wide receivers drafted on day two of the of the draft and during that same time frame. So 2015, Tyler Lockett goes 69th overall. 2016, Sterling Shepard goes 40th. Michael Thomas goes 47th. Tyler Boyd goes 55th. 2017, Curtis Samuels goes 40. Juju goes 62. Cooper Cup goes 69. Chris Godwin goes 84. Kenny Galladay goes 95th. 
2018, Cortland Sutton goes 40th overall. Christian Kirk goes 47th. Anthony Miller goes 51st. DJ Chart goes 61. Michael Gallup goes 81st. And then last year, Debo goes 36. AJ Brown goes 51. Mecole Hardman, 56. DK Metcalf, 64. Deontay Johnson, 66. And Terry McLaurin, 76. Now, I understand there's two rounds to work with on day two as opposed to one on day one. But I might rather have 50% of the second and third rounders versus the first rounders, the Kevin Whites and, you know, Josh Doxons of the world. This is not even close. The second right, round and right. the third round massively outweigh. You could even maybe take out the second round and then you would have a contest between round three versus round one. And that's a, a pretty right. big disparity between where these players are drafted and how good of players they've become. And the one thing that became clear to me when you start reading the names off of this list, the difference between the guys that went round one and the guys that went round two and three was some sort of height, weight, speed. They probably lacked one of those in testing. And it turns out it maybe doesn't matter that much. Right. It really doesn't. Cause that's the second article I wrote in that, you know, the, I took the top 13 guys in terms of their catches this year from the wide receiver position. And I looked at their weight and their 40 from the combine. And here are those names, Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen, DeAndre Hopkins, Julian Edelman, Julio Jones, Allen Robinson, Cooper Cup, Tyler Boyd, Robert Woods, DJ Moore, Chris Godwin, Devontae Adams, Jarvis Landry. So, those are those are everyone that end up catching 83 balls or more. And Thomas caught 149, and I counted down from there. Well, you know, and obviously there's some pretty outstanding wide receivers. And of that group, Julio was the only one to me that I considered freaky. I mean, he's 220 and ran a 439. Yeah. Wow. You know, so but Godwin and Julio are the only two of those 13 that ran a 4-4 or better. I mean, so. I mean, everyone else was over four five. I mean, Godwin ran a four four two, but every other name on that list was four four two, four four one or better. So, th- what I did was I averaged out the group's weight and their forty time, and the average weight of the top thirteen re- wide receiver reception leaders was two two hundred six pounds point eight. So, like two hundred seven pounds with a four five seven in the forty. Wow, that's pretty unreal. Yeah, Yeah, that's pretty unreal. And I thought it would be in the four fives, but four, five, seven, I didn't think it would be that far down uh, on the four fives. But there's players that that really skew that down, too, that just didn't run well. And they're really good football players. Matt, does this do you start thinking about this year's class when you look at these numbers and and start thinking, well, you know what? Maybe C.D. Lamb should be that number one wide receiver and maybe it shouldn't even be that close with the production he's had he was the 450 which is still very good speed his ball skills his run after catch ability I tend to think that that's the skill that helps NFL players more than the downfield speed even though it's so nice to have that downfield speed and I think it scares defensive coaches and I think if you get defensive coaches involved and coaching staffs involved like look what you could do here look how much this affects your offense but it's the guys that can win dirty win in short areas win in the intermediate level that really matter. So maybe CD Lamb should be that number one wide receiver in this class over someone like Henry Ruggs. Maybe, and maybe. And I listed 18 guys that are coming that were at the combine that ran. Some of them, not everyone ran, obviously, that kind of fit those parameters, which is a ton. But to your point, 
you know, Brandon Ayuk is 205 pounds and runs a 4-5 flat. Michael Pittman is 223 pounds, runs a 4-5-2. Gabriel Davis is 216 and runs a 4-5-4. Like, people ding these guys for being slow at the Combine. That's bonkers. Four fives is is fast. It's super fast. Right. And it's plenty fast in the NFL if you have the other things. And here's the other part of it, though. It's not like you just want somebody who's 200 pounds and and four, five, seven, because you can find a million of those. So you have to find a good player, but you can't disqualify them saying they're slow because of four, five, seven. That's the thing is it's not like I need people in this mold. I need good football players, and I'm not going to let, you know, a, a four, five, five change my mind on them. I mean, Cooper Cup's the best example ever. I mean, he was at his combine, he was 204 pounds and ran a 4.62. If Cooper Cup comes out right now, I mean, he's a top 10 pick. Right. Yeah. Knowing what you know now. Knowing what you know now. Right. Yes. Of course. Yeah. It's, and it's not like you're searching for 4.6. <laughs> you know, you don't, no. they're not successful because they run a 4.6. They're successful because they were good wide receivers. So trust your evaluation, draft good wide receivers, and don't ding them too hard for the 40 time. Yes, and I am not a stats geek. I am not a math major. But if you look at the guys that have run under 4-4 at the wide receiver position, most of them are busts. But that doesn't mean you want slow guys. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> to your point. Like, there, there oh, he's to- too fast. He ran too fast for 40. Let's not trap <laughs> him. And there needs to be some strength with wide receivers. You think about divas yes. and these guys that can fly, but it's a position that you have to be physical. You have to be mentally tough. You have to be physically tough. The weight one is interesting because the the consensus top three wide receivers in this year's class are all under 200 pounds. Does that give you any pause? A little, because I do think weight is very important with wide receivers. And a lot of those guys that ran really fast over the last five years that busted are skinny, lighter dudes that can't get off press, that get manhandled. This is a physical game. I mean, even if you're a wide receiver, and if your body can't hold up, if you can't have the power and strength to get off man coverage, I mean, one thing I learned scouting was our wide receiver coach and our corner coach with the Browns said, watch every snap of press man coverage you possibly can at the college level and then go from there. You know, yeah. So if you don't have the body armor, the strength, the technique to get off the jam, you're done. Which is an added element, and we could go all day on this subject. We're pretty much out of time here, but finding those press reps is difficult because you might get five on a player, and that's another element that makes scouting the wide receiver position uh, from college to the NFL so difficult. It really is. I mean, it's hard to find good press reps for a corner or a wideout. Which is why if I was drafting a wide receiver, Getting a chance to see that player at the Senior Bowl, I think, is really important. The 49ers mm-hmm. yeah. drafting Debo Samuel, got to work with him for a week. You really understand a guy's work habits, working with him for a week, and you see him in those one-on-ones versus press coverage. I think that, for me, really helps Denzel Mims in this class, who also just blew up the combine, had a really good week at the Senior Bowl. Makes me feel a lot more comfortable putting him at the end of the first round. That's a great, great note there, because they are... You are, you're going to see quality corners pressing these guys at the Senior Bowl, and those snaps are super valuable, and you're right there looking at them. I mean, that, that is a great tool. You're 100% right. Good stuff, and we're not done talking about wide receivers. We will probably multiple times leading up to April 23rd, and then again after the draft when these guys get selected by their respective teams. Tomorrow is Twitter Thursday. Hit me up at BD Peacock. Matt is at Williamson NFL, and we'll talk to you then right here, Locked on NFL.